Hello, and welcome to another episode of the 94 NBA Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. Uh, it is Monday, February 25th that we are recording, so you'll be listening to this on February 26th. Corbin, how are you doing this evening? Even though, actually, I already know how you're doing because the Lakers <laughs> lost to the Grizzlies tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Joe Kim Noah, of all people, led the way. <laughs> are you serious? I, people forgot it's 2019, not 2014. This should not be happening. <laughs> I am a mess. Um, it's really starting to occur to me that we might not make the playoffs, and that is something I never thought I would even consider with LeBron James on my team. So the fact that this is even a possibility right now, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm literally live mourning. <laughs> I mean, when LeBron got hurt and they were struggling – it was it was always you know the feeling of okay well when he comes back well when he was playing early in the season they were a really good team so when he comes back they'll be a really good team and still make the playoffs and then they go through all this drama about the trade deadline rumors and how basically everyone's on the table and they don't, they don't make it, the trade for AD they make some smaller moves um, that we can touch on in a little bit and you know we're still everyone's still saying you know oh LeBron's back LeBron's back you know they'll be fine they've got talent blah 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 but you know the chemistry the the the, the vibe is wrong in the locker room LeBron has looked good recently but you know even for that first couple of games back from that injury he did not look like himself you know he's still missing Lonzo there there are new pieces you know Reggie Bullock is is you know a good idea of a fit for him but you know it's really interesting what's going on there um but uh Let's hold off on them for just a little bit, and let's kind of dive in to trade deadline winners and losers. They'll come up again, believe me. Um, and uh, yeah, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> so we decided to take a, a step back and kind of let the new players play on their new teams for, for a little while. Some have played a decent amount, like Tobias Harris on the Sixers. Other key additions, like uh, Miritich, have kind of just, just recently started playing for the Bucks. So it, it's good enough to take a step back and see these new players on their new teams for a little bit in most cases before really you know diving into to winners and losers. But um, I'll get us started with a winner. Um, I've got, I still got the Raptors as a winner. Um, I know people were pretty you know, hit or miss on the Gasol trade, you know, does it really mess, does it, you know, kind of clash with, you know, the Raptors, you know, style of play, especially with the bench units, you know, slowing it down with Gasol there, um, is Gasol really much of an upgrade over Valanciunas to warrant, you know, giving up maybe some guard depth in, in DeLon Wright, though they did subsequently get Jeremy Lin, um, but I think, I still think overall, you know, come playoff times, you know, come having someone to guard Joel Embiid, you know, having Gasol be able to provide additional playmaking, um, especially from those elbow, the elbow areas on the court that they didn't have before. Um, I think it's going to be pretty beneficial. Their, their passing has increased, you know, a, quite a lot since Gasol joined them. Um, you know, I looked up these stats a couple days ago, so they're probably changed by now. But I, when I looked it up a couple days ago, they were 15th uh, in assists per game for the entire season. Um, with uh, just under 25 assists per game. But in only four games, in Gasol's first four games with the team, they had 30 assists per game, which is, you know, almost over five assists more per game. Um, And I think that's, you know, obviously it's not only Gasol doing that, but he provides such a different element for their offense that that their other bigs can't and and didn't do. Valanciunas is not, you know, is not going to pass really. Ibaka doesn't have that playmaking vision. I think that can be really helpful. Again, I think defensively he can still provide you know, better, obviously better defense than Valanciunas, especially against most opponents. I think maybe Milwaukee um, with, with Brooke Lopez and Boston with Al Horford could probably give him some problems and make them go to Ibaka at center more. Um, but I think Gasol provides, you know, a really solid option against a guy like Joel Embiid um, against maybe in a Pacers series or something like that. I just provide, I think that what he provides is, a, is you know, a big enough upgrade over Valanciunas to warrant the trade. I, I really didn't think they give up that much. Um especially when you get Jimmy Lin and then they can get Fred Van Vee back healthy. So I like the additional playmaking and the defense that he provides. And because of that, I think they're going to really benefit from Gasol in the playoffs, maybe more so than they are right now. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And and to be honest, I, I was high on it just because I thought having a player like Gasol in Nate Nurse's lineup offensively open up wonders. I thought he played a lot more minutes than he has, but I think that Nurse has been using, you know, the center by committee approach he was using with Jonas Valanciunas and and um. Serge Ibaka, where it's matching them up with centers that would match up with them, you know, depending on starting five and, and how that works, which I think is is is, a, is not a novel concept, but one that I think is ideal, especially with a 34 Gasol, who has a lot of mileage, and a Serge Gullipaid right foot. So, 
that, that you know, is something to consider. Also, you already mentioned all the stuff he provides as far as matching up against the bigs, the Al Horfords, the Joel Embiid's. That's great. You know, in his last eight games in Memphis, averaging 19 points, nine rebounds, and just under five assists, knocking down 30, under 35% of his uh, threes at almost four attempts a game just over that. So he has the perfect weapons to fit in. I think it's just a little clunky right now, obviously, because he's still, you know, acclimating himself. But even now, like you said, his passing isn't great. I know he had a game of 15, 8, and 4. Yeah, it was a loss to the Magic, but it was still a, a decent game for Gasol. And, and yeah, I mean, only four centers in league history to log over 5,000 minutes have a higher assist rate than Gasol. He can hit you from the elbows. He can hit you high-low. He, he has great vision. And, you know, defensively, he's definitely not the rim protector he was of old. Um, you know, the defensive player of the year guy that he was back in the day. But at the same time, you know, he's still a stingy defender who has some um, some veteran savvy. I mean, I agree. I mean, I think that, again, like I said, basically what it comes down to to me is, is, is he enough of an upgrade over, over Valanciunas? You know, it's tough maybe. You know, DeLon Wright was obviously a key piece in their backcourt. We'll see what Jeremy Lin can do. You know, Jeremy Lin, Van Vliet, and Lowry is going to be their main backcourt pieces, at least at the point guard position. But you got Danny Green who can play at the two as well. Um, I think he provides enough of enough of an upgrade. I mean, his numbers in, since joining the Raptors are really interesting. He's, you know, it's obviously only been five games, but he's down to 20 minutes a game, mostly coming off the bench. He started one of those five games. He's not really taking threes anymore. In those five games, he's attempted three three-pointers total, um, putting wow. up 10 points, 6.2 rebounds, 3.2 assists. You know, his, his, his efficiency is pretty solid. Um, you know, again, these are obviously in 20 minutes, so... You know, per 36 stats, he's averaging basically 18, 11, and nearly six assists per game per 36 minutes with the Raptors. So it's just basically the minutes flow that's cut down on him. But maybe the three-point shooting is also a little bit surprising. But again, I think, you know, the advanced metrics paint that he's been good defensively with them, maybe, you know, a little bit of a negative offensively. But again, I think they have, this team has so many kinks to work out still. You know, they've had a lot of injuries. You know, Kawhi's, you know, missed a, a decent amount of time. Kyle Lowry's missed time. Fred Van Vliet's down, so they really haven't even been that healthy this year, and they added Gasol, not really mid-season, but three-quarters of the way through, and I don't think, we may never see the best version of the Raptors. That may prove to be their downfall in the playoffs, or maybe they do have enough time to figure it out and click come playoff time, and that's maybe the reason they get to the finals. That's how I think there's such a high ceiling for this team, um, and I think Gasol is part of that ceiling. So the Raptors are one of my winners. Let's go to you for one of your uh, winners from the trade deadline. Okay. Oh, real quick, I'd like to ask a question before, just before you yeah. go. If Gasol leaves, is it still a win for you? Um, I feel like he's gonna pick up that player option. I just have a sneaky feeling. But you know, the fact that he that he could, if things don't work out, you know, he is playing a little out of sorts. Um, not not not. I mean, up to his level of play, he's still acclimating himself. All of that. But let's say you know they flame on the playoffs. Kawhi, for whatever reason, can't consistently play. The back-to-back-to-back, you know, the, the, the regular minutes he'll have to do in the playoffs because of his, you know, degenerative condition, they fall out. What do you think then? Let's say he just says, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else where I can get a little more security, uh, you know, over a longer deal. Would you say it's a win for what they gave up? I still think so, because like, I, I am one of those people who, and I'll get to this later in, in a Grizzlies discussion, I think that they just didn't give up that much. I mean, this team... First of all, this team is centered all around what Kawhi does. If he leaves, they're going to rebuild anyways. They were planning to do that anyways based on the nature of trading for Kawhi for his contract year. So if they do flame out in the playoffs, I think it's almost a guarantee that Kawhi leaves, in which case if Gasol also leaves, which again, I'm not really sure if he is because obviously it's a nice, that's a nice juicy player option, but maybe he does want a three-year deal with less money per year but still has more guaranteed money overall. Um, I still think it's going to be fine for them because they're all in on this year. They know that if Kawhi leaves, they're going to have to rebuild anyway. So why not go even more all in and try and win this year to keep Kawhi? And they say, you know what? If we still don't win, Kawhi's going to leave anyways like he was before. And we've even continued to jumpstart our rebuild, getting off CJ Miles' contract, getting off Valanciunas' contract, and maybe possibly get Gasol, you know, opts out. And we've kind of got an easier path to a rebuild. So I still think it would be a win if they if Gasol opts out and Kawhi leaves because I think that that was always their plan. Or their plan B was to just always rebuild no matter what this season if Kawhi leaves. I get that. I get that. I was want to know what you thought about it. I, I, I would have to agree, and by the same token, just on the fact that maybe the haul they gave up, and I guess haul is a big word to use, wasn't that much. And for a player like Gasol, even if it's only a rental, um, for your short-term, 
you know, championship aspirations is worth it. All right, so, I, I mean, I took a team that's playing the long game as a winner, and that's the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, I kind of technically cheated. This is, you know, a little bit before the deadline. But um, <laughs> acquiring Christoph Porzingis from the Knicks, um, they definitely have set themselves up as far as an identity is concerned. They have their two European stars. They have Porzingis and, you know, the soon-to-be rookie of the year, Luka Doncic. And that right there are two building blocks um, basically 23 and younger that they can move fo- moving forward. And, you know, um, Mark Cuban said the next, like, what, 20 years? Of course, I sure he was kidding because not everyone's going to age as fine as Dirk Nowitzki did. <laughs> However, you know, having those two young studs that are just – I mean, when Porzingis is healthy, you know he's a monster. You know what he can do offensively. You know the rim protection he provides on defense or, or can provide. And, and I really see him coming back by him being out the rest of this year. It, it, it further – I think it was hoped that he will come back fully healthy, completely, and not anything like it possibly could have been if he came in this year and was still working back the kinks. I don't really know how serious it was that he was going to return this year. But the point being, with the way Luka Doncic is playing right now, and if he messes with Porzingis, you start with those two, you go from there. And all you had to give up for, you know, someone like Porzingis, yes, he is coming off of that ACL injury. But, you know, Dennis Smith Jr., who didn't really fit too well with Luka, two players who were on expiring contracts who... I don't think we're going to return anyway in Wesley Matthews and DeAndre Jordan. And, yes, he took some cast space with Tim Hardaway Jr., but he, he is a useful player, I think, in the right system. Um, I, I've only seen a little bit of what he, how he's played with Dallas, admittedly, but I do think that with him there, Carlisle, if not this year, will find the right way to utilize him. Um, and with Harrison Barnes you know, off to the Sacramento, Dallas is at least able to offset, offset some of that cash in the future to open up some room to maybe sign you know, another contributor in the future. So that was good. I think the only thing that was negative about anything in getting Porzingis was the fact that it cost the Mavs two future first-round picks, and you never know how those could come up in the future and how big those could be. Um, we can look at picks now that, you know, three, four, five years ago didn't seem like a big a deal and definitely came back to bite certain teams. But I think for a, a team in Dallas who wasn't going anywhere this year and had one stud for the future to go and get two to kind of build off of that and, and see where you are next year with those two players – uh, some decent veterans and, and, and a great coach in Carlisle and, and a decent organization in Dallas, what can be accomplished? I, I think that was a win for them. Yeah, I've also got them as a winner and not even as much for the KP trade, which I think is a whole other situation uh, as in terms of it's it's so murky to see who, if you know, if they are true winner from that deal. But of course, we also did a basically full segment on that in a, in a podcast a couple weeks ago. So if you want to listen to our full analysis on that trade, definitely go back to listen to that episode. Um, there's a lot of risk in that deal. KP could be could stay healthy and be that second star that they want, or he could continue to get hurt and just stagnate in his development. And they gave up, you know, depending on what you think of Dennis Smith and whatever those first-round picks become, maybe they gave up too much. Um, but I think it's a whole other situation. I think they're – I would also have them as winners – just by getting out of the Harrison Barnes deal to open up a max slot this summer. Um, I mean, not that Harrison Barnes is a bad player. I think he's a, he's a, a solid scorer, but I think he just doesn't he just doesn't fit really with this team moving forward. Um, he's a little bit past. He's only I think twenty six, turning twenty seven, but yeah. he's not, doesn't perfectly align with their age limit, their age timeline, and. The guy just, you know, you get the ball, you give him the ball, and no one else is going to touch it. That's just how his possessions usually go. So, getting out of his contract, maybe Justin Jackson, who they got in return, can be a rotation piece, backup wing um, for the future. That can be solid. But really, they opened up a max slot, and they may not attract a, a player worthy of that kind of money. Um, but I do think, you know, the combination of the solid management, solid coaching with Rick Carlisle, the city. And the, the duo uh, of Porzingis and Luca, I think they could that that whole combination could attract someone you know just as good, if not better than Barnes. I mean, I think obviously point guard and center become their biggest needs depending on where they see Porzingis. Obviously, a lot of people want to see Porzingis at center moving forward, and obviously you don't need a traditional point guard where you've got Luca handling the ball that much, but just a guy a point guard who can handle the ball a little bit and hit threes. Um, and if you're going to put Porzingis at power forward, you need a center. Um, you know, you just need a, a bigger body to defend the rim, too. Um, so those become clear-cut needs. And, again, it, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of market, you know, they got, go after. Again, they, they might just strike out in free agency and overpay, you know, just a solid a solid starter, uh, uh, you know, a lot of money. But that's what Harrison Barnes was. So why not get another crack at spending that money? And maybe that maybe all that combination, like I just went through, does attract a really quality, you know, player. Maybe the Bucks 
struggle in the playoffs, get eliminated early, and, and Chris Middleton wants to bounce and become a, a you know featured wing on that team or someone like that. Maybe they, a, a point guard or a center like a Vucevic or um, someone like that you know gets attracted by this market, this team, and wants to win. There are there are other options for them out there besides Harrison Barnes. So they got maybe a, a solid you know rotation piece in Justin Jackson and cleared up cap space. So just for that, I had them as a winner. And then depending on what your view of the KP trade, I think you can even tilt that even more as them winners or you know maybe bring them back to the middle of, of being on the fence given the risk involved with the KP trade. But I do agree, I do have them as winners. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with the risk. And the reason I put them as winners, you're right. Harrison Barnes, I feel for the dude. I mean, you already mentioned this for us. <laughs> he, he, he's going to take shots. That's what's going to happen. Um, he's going to take shots to make shots. So I think he is averaging, what, just over 17 points a game. He's honestly taking almost that many shots to get those points. You're not getting the assist. You're not getting too many rebounds. Defensively, I think the lack of steals and blocks is just more concerning because that just shows that maybe, in my opinion, he's not as active on the defensive end as he could be to even register any of those numbers. Um, but, yeah, they got, rid of that, they got rid of some of that money, and he was most assuredly going to stay there for the long haul. And it kind of ends an interesting odyssey with him, you know, with Dallas, although he was much loved by them. But for KP, I think it, it, there's a risk. I get it. Seven-footer ACL is not cool. You know, I don't know how his attitude, if that was, you know, in New York, really, and I, I tend to believe that it was, or if that's just something about KP and just his own, you know, his own management agency, all that good stuff. However, I, I think the ceiling on that, you know, just on – Let's say he just becomes a high-end, like, stretch five. I still think that's good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, okay, you know, he's not going to be the, the terror that he showed when he was, you know, catching blocks and and all sorts of stuff. But at the same time, if he even comes that as, as a player to pair along Luka, with his age and the fact that his potential, you know, as long as he's not like a Chandler Parsons, um, I have hope. I think just on the sting of that alone, I'm high on him. But I, I definitely... Uh, agree with you as far as just getting rid of the Harrison Mars contract and finding a taker for him and taking someone who I think uh, I, I have faith in Justin Jackson low upside guy not a whole lot of potential there definitely but in, in Carlisle's system I love Coach Carlisle if you hadn't noticed I think they can be useful I think so too I mean listen I, I basically think that it's even just without even just not factoring in the KP chat, I still would have had them as winners um, yeah. just for the ability to get that op- another opportunity at cap space this summer um but let's not stay as positive as we've been and go through some, a couple of losers. Um, I think two teams that that have been rivals, you know, since forever, um, are losers: the Celtics and the Lakers. Um, starting with the Celtics, I think directly this season they just saw their top competition in the East make a bunch of win now upgrades, um, while the Celtics stood pat and and rightly so. I mean, they were never expected to make a deal. Um, you know, they've got all the pieces as is on their roster. So it wasn't like they were, you know, expected to make a deal to keep up with this. But they did see the three main competitors. Obviously, the Pacers had Old Depot go down, but they still played well. But, you know, they saw Toronto, they saw Milwaukee, and they saw Philly make fairly significant win-now upgrades in a year where the Celtics have to do well in the playoffs to make sure that Kyrie sticks around and that could have a whole other effect for the AD sweepstakes. Uh, And then the other aspect of them being a loser is... AD came out and said he has no intention to play, you know, for the Celtics long term. And Kyrie followed that up by creating more uncertainty around, you know, his own free agency. So coupling the fact that on the court and in this season, in the next couple of months, they saw their top competitors make upgrades while their future plans got a little bit murkier with Kyrie making, you know, creating more uncertainty and AD basically saying he's not going to stick around in Boston. Coupling those two, it's it's more of a short term and a long term potential, you know, for losing for the Celtics, which is why I had them as a loser at the trade deadline. And then the Lakers, also obviously directly related to AD, not getting him was obviously the the big thing, you know, for their deadline. Um, and now in the summer, Boston can enter the mix, um, and maybe other teams could try and enter the, the the trading sweepstakes, depending on how the lottery and the playoffs shake out for some teams. Um, and then the other effect, like I mentioned earlier. Um, when we basically just started the podcast, is the effects that these rumors see, you know, seem to have had on the locker room and the young guys just really is, is pretty disheartening. Um, and so they've got a, a pretty tough schedule moving forward. They just lost to the Grizzlies tonight. I'm not sure LeBron's fully recovered yet. Um, and these young guys, you know, feeling the effects of the, of the trade deadline. Maybe Luke Walton's kind of feeling like a lame duck coach, you know, with him almost guaranteed to be fired, you know, soon or at the end of the season if, if, if things continue like this. Can they make the playoffs? I mean, that's a huge question. Obviously, it's one of the main storylines down the stretch of the season. Um, but 
basically because of them not getting AD and because of all the the effects that these the trade rumors seem to have had on their locker room, I have got the Lakers as a loser as well. I, I mean, I, I hate that you had to bring up the Lakers so early, <laughs> man. I really, really do. I mean, they're definitely losers. Not only psychologically, because you're right. You've seen them. Aside from, you know, a, a good win against uh, – a comeback win against Houston – um, they've just been so up and down. They really have. I mean, simple answer, they just didn't get Anthony Davis. That's that's crazy. Long-term-wise, they have the chance, excuse me, <coughs> knowing that they could they could lose him to, to a Boston, to a New York, to, well, not New York anymore, to a Clippers team. You know, there's 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 other teams that could take him now. And the fact that you put the whole, basically the whole team plus, you know, the, the, the coaching staff up there, to, to be traded for Anthony Davis and made that public and got declined, I mean, that's just a mess. It, it's really just a mess. Then you make a trade getting rid of a great potential starting center in Avicii Zubac, 7'1", 21-year-old who's been, who had been really productive, really productive. You get rid of him uh, uh, basically to get rid of Michael Beasley when you could have just waived him to bring back Mike Muscala, who has barely played. Uh, he has league average accuracy from beyond New York. That's great. But, I mean, even the value that he provides there, when he is playing, if he does play, you know, major minutes, it is, is not even up to, in my opinion, the potential of a 21-year-old building block at center who, who, who's gotten some run with the Clippers since he's been traded. Uh, aside from all of that, I mean, you don't make a move to trade for Anthony Davis. You can't do that. Fine. In my opinion, you have these young guys here. You You... You, you make a move somewhere else. Stay in the market. I mean, if you're going to dash their confidence like that, and, and LeBron's not helping anymore now, saying, you know, that they have to prepare to be uncomfortable. He loves being uncomfortable, yada, yada, yada. You know, he's already doing damage, not even damage control, but uh, I'm sorry. I need a moment. Okay. <laughs> Long story short, it's a dumpster fire, and I think it's because the Lakers tried to make the move for AD, didn't really get it done, then thought that they could take those same young guys that they just offered along with the rest of their ship for Anthony Davis and figured that, the strength of their culture would, would make these young guys play well, along with um, Reggie Bullock, because, hey, he hits just about 40% of his threes, uh, tries hard on defense. That's great. And Mike Muscala, because, hey, we need to stretch five, because we didn't think about that during the offseason. We had the chance to keep Brooke Lopez. I, I, I don't understand it. They're definitely the biggest losers of this whole trade deadline to me. They definitely look weakened. They look just out of place. They look like they're searching for, for any answers. On, on this team. They don't have any. I think the best thing to come out of any of this since LeBron's come to Lakers in, in this standpoint now is that Space Jam 2 finally has a release date. <laughs> that really was like the only positive news. I mean, I didn't even mention the actual moves that they made the deadline. Um, the Bullock trade is, is fine to me, but the, I mean, the Zubac trade is just, I mean... Ridiculous. Nothing, Ridiculous. Nothing short of a disaster. Um, and... That's yeah. It, it's it's the moves that they made were were pretty bad overall, and then the, the moves that they couldn't make have seemed to just tear down their locker room, completely destroy the culture. Everyone's kind of on, you know, eggshells, kind of walking around. Luke Walton's basically knowing that he's probably going to be fired soon, and the young guys. Oh, it's over. Dead man walking. Yeah, hands and down. Young guys are you know feeling disheartened. You've got LeBron making uh, every single all these public comments. I mean. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago it was the tweeting about Kevin Love, you know, not fitting in, and now it's just he's gone from Twitter to just making literally straight up public call outs of his entire team. And let me say this his, his effort, yeah, he's putting up great numbers. Great numbers. You see the stat line, he's really, really stacking up. I love LeBron. Love he's on the Lakers, but his effort is ridiculous. For a young team, you'll see moments where he doesn't get the ball, where he's pouting, where he's not getting back on defense. That's leadership. You are literally. A, a, a living legend. You know You know what I mean? These young guys, if anything, need to rally behind a sense of strength. Your veterans is basically you and Rajon Rondo as the ones with championship experience. Um, JaVale McGee does as well, but, you know, he, I heard apparently reporting he'd been pouting or, or, you know, or just having, you know, a down year himself. Rondo has not been playing very well. And playoff Rondo might not get a chance to even show up if they don't make the playoffs. And LeBron has not been at all what I would expect him to be as a leader of a young team. I get that he's not really a great leader. I mean, he can be, by example, maybe. But, I mean, some of the things he says, and I guess it wasn't a big deal in Cleveland because, yeah, we made a big deal out of it. But for the most part, that was really a veteran team. All the youngsters they had, they turned to veterans. That was kind of the team that they had. They were able to kind of, you know, withstand that more or less, um, not 
withstanding last year's team. But this is just, it's not a good look. It's not a good look for the organization, Magic Johnson, Rob Palenka, even Jeannie Buss. It's not a good look for LeBron. And what about these youth? I, I mean, man. It, it's, it's bad all around. I mean, it, it, I, at this point, they sit uh, three games back of the A-seed. And again, I mentioned they have one of the hardest schedules down the stretch, especially out of these teams fighting for the A-seed. And so, I mean, it is going to be really, really interesting to see if they can just turn it around, whether it's LeBron just kind of carrying the team on his back or maybe... Lonzo comes back and the, the young guys, you know, kind of get over these, these trade rumors and, and reports and maybe LeBron stops making all these public comments and maybe they just will themselves to the eighth seed or something like that or even the seventh seed because the, the seventh seed is only half a game above the eighth seed, so it's not a huge difference. Um, and that, that's really their only hope. Um, but let's not stay too negative. Um, okay. Let's, let's go back to some positives for just a little bit. Um, going back, again, I feel like all the, a bunch of these winners are going to be in the Eastern Conference just Mm-hmm. By the nature of what they did, but the Bucks I have as as a winner, yeah. um, Miritich has only played two games. Um, he's barely it's such a small sample, but even just knowing who Miritich is, Miritich is as a player, we know that he's going to shore up their front court depth. You don't really have to rely as much on maybe an Ilyasova on some nights or DJ Wilson, who's had a really solid kind of breakout season, but. Do you really want to rely on him when you've got a Miritich on the roster? No. So Miritich provides that safety option. Um, he provides size. He's got you know rebounding, obviously great three-point shooting. You know His percentage is nothing out of this world. He's only a career 36%, but it's just the volume of over seven attempts per game um, this season that makes him so valuable as a shooter. And then you know all the concerns that people have had this season of can Brook Lopez stay on the court in the playoffs – you know, Miritich provides another backup option where you can go with Miritich and Giannis in the front court, um, and there really isn't that much of a defensive liability because Miritich can kind of switch. He's a solid help defender. Um, Giannis obviously is, is really good defensively. He can provide some rim protection. So I think that it's that backup option that he provides, um, you know, if, if Lopez does get played off the floor, and then the size, the rebounding, the shooting, and the fact that you don't have to rely on someone like DJ Wilson or someone more inconsistent like Ersan Ilyasova makes uh, – the Bucks a big winner for getting Miritich. Yeah, and when we definitely talked about this before, and it's really, I mean, having seen it, you're right. You have a player who is one of the best as far as from the volume, as far as um, con- converting threes in general on a team that already has just supreme floor spacing around one of the just best open terror threats there is in the NBA, um, if not NBA history, and Giannis, uh, just in general. And the line of versatility that you have there and breaking it down, like you said, going jumbo lines to match up with the East powerhouses when they want to play their bigs, going smaller and a little more stretchier, being able to stretch the floor vertically to just 35 feet. I mean, maybe I'm exaggerating slightly, but really only slightly because Brooke will pull up from deep, deep. And there was a great piece written. I forgot where, but yeah, I'm going to misquote it. But anyway, about him, you know, really stretching out that deep, like, you know, a couple steps inside of the logo, okay, like five, ten steps inside to really draw the defense out. Now you have someone like Miritich who is just merciless when it comes to gunning. And someone who can make those shots, it just opens up the floor so much on the offensive end for Giannis, on an offensive team that was already scary. And now you have another threat you could roll out there. And you already broke down just some of the ways that they match up. But, yeah, that was a, a, a very, very good move for a Milwaukee team that's just scary. Yeah. Um Oh, we don't have to spend too much time. I think that was just a, such a clear-cut uh, addition and kind of upgrade for the Bucks. Another uh, interesting, I guess I have a set of winners, is Otto Porter and the Wizards. Um, Ooh, you think they're, oh, you going to have them as winners? I have them as winners. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> I, just, I just think from a, a kind of like whole perspective, that taking a step back, I just felt like that, that relationship between Porter and the Wizards ending I think it's just good for both sides. I think that Porter will now have more opportunity, uh, more opportunities on the Bulls. He's not going to be facing a lot of pressure to kind of win and contribute to winning. He won't really have to kind of deal with, you know, well, it used to be dealing with both John Wall and Bradley Beal, um, but now it's really only Bradley Beal. Um, you know, he won't have, you know, Trevor Reeser is kind of playing over him. Um, I just think that he'll have more opportunities and, and just have lack of pressure around him, which may be helpful for his development as a player overall. I know he's not obviously this 21-year-old, but he can still have – I think he still has some room for potential um, to develop his game, become a little bit more well-rounded on both ends of the floor. And for the Wizards, they get out of his contract, which, again, I think Otto Porter is a, is a really solid contributor and can be like a third you know piece on, on a really, really good team. But for the Wizards, a team that's really not going anywhere – 
you know, this contract just didn't make any sense. I, I mean, I think it was always kind of set in stone that they were going to have to trade him once they matched that deal a couple years ago. But they got out of his contract. They get a solid bench big in Bobby Portis, who, again, he's going to be restricted for agents, so we'll see what they pay him. But he's not going to really improve the team. He's just going to put up, you know, big numbers on on some, you know, on an inconsistent basis. Um, but really, Wizards get out of a contract for a team that's going nowhere, get out of the luxury tax. And for Porter, he'll just have more opportunities in the Bulls and not deal with the kind of pressure of having that contract from the team that didn't really give it to him, but matched it for him. So I think just, just that relationship ending is just overall good for both sides. I'm not saying Porter's going to become a star and the Wizards are going to become a playoff team. I think they're all going to stay basically the same. Porter's going to put up basically the same stats and the Wizards are basically going to win at the same rate. But just them separating, I think, is is, is good for both sides. Ooh, sorry about that. I had a sneeze over there. Yeah, no, okay, so I get where you're coming from. And see, I think it's the classic glass half full, glass half empty conundrum here because that makes perfect sense. It was a marriage that had to be, you know, for the good of, of both sides um, to, to split. It just had to happen. However, for me, I look at it like this. Okay, you pay. You didn't want. You didn't. Have, you didn't want to pay ideally Otto Porter twenty six million per season. I get it. You kind of had to because the time he had a massive offer because what he provided on a team that was, you know, pretty good up in Eastern Conference and they couldn't really easily replicate anywhere else had to be done. Great. Now my thing is this: you trade him to the Bulls for Bobby Portis. Jabari Parker, and a 2023 second-round pick. Uh, Parker and Portis, okay, decent players, but they're on expiring deals to both of them. Uh, uh, I don't really, unless you really see Bobby Porter, and Portis, he's been playing well in Washington, but unless you see him as, like, a a long-term future in your plans, he can be gone just like that. Jabari Parker, same thing. And a a 2023 second-round draft pick, that's great. That's a a second-round pick, but look, five years from now, that's just, that's literally five years from now. So, yeah, the Wizards cleared Otto Porter's money. That's amazing. But, I mean, this is the best they could have got for him. And if it is the best they're going to get for him and, and they're going down Rebo Road, why not try to get something for Trevor Reza? Um, why not, if, if Wall's going to be out at least, um, you know, all of this year all and possibly all of next year, why not get aggressive to start a rebuild? You know, because you're going to be in a position where it, you're not going to have the old John Wall potentially for the next two years, if ever. The only person who has enough value to really even get a decent return on the market is Bradley Bill. And now, you know, he's on a team that's not really going anywhere. They're not making the playoffs this year. They're, 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 I think 538 has them just, I forgot the percent, just horrible. And also, with the money they have for, for the future for the Wizards, John Wall's $170 million contract extension hasn't even kicked in yet. He'll be making $38 million next year, just on that alone. And the Wizards seem to be still operating as their team that should keep it together and stay relevant in the Eastern Conference. Have they not seen the top four? I mean, have they not seen, you know, uh, Milwaukee, uh, Toronto, uh, Boston, Philadelphia, uh, and even Indiana? Like, this team is the, – the move that they made, I get it. You had to give it to Otto Porter's money, I get But, like, I shudder to think that they couldn't have gotten more for Porter. At the same time, that was the only move they made. And if that's the case, what, 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 is, what is their long-term future? That's why I have them as losers. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it comes down to uh... – it, it really comes down to, I guess, them not wanting to take back money because I feel like I, I agree. There, there definitely was a better. There should have been a better return for Porter. I mean, that 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 probably would have entailed them taking on some money moving forward, like maybe a player who's making ten million next year, and maybe they weren't interested in that. Um, I maybe they were just so desperate to get off, get away from Porter, that they just took kind of like the first best deal available. Um, I do agree. I, th- I mean. Like I said, this is really from a perspective of just this relationship ending. I think the Wizards are staying at the same, basically stuck in neutral, not going to be bad enough. Then again, I think they have. I think you know, as of like today or yesterday, they were projected to have, or they could finish with like the seventh overall pick, which is pretty high. Um, but they're never going to be bad enough to really get a true, you know, all-star talent talent in the in the draft potentially um but they'll never be good enough to make it in the playoffs or get past the first round due to how good the top of the east is so the wizards are going to be stuck where they are for the foreseeable future due to the wall contract mahimi still got another year they're not trading beal so they'll kind of be the same team that they are and porter i think will still be the same player maybe put up a little bit more stats you know playing more minutes getting more shots but not really contributing to winning in chicago either so i think Maybe Porter could be a winner for himself just because he's going to put up more numbers and have more opportunities. I think the Wizards as a team are, are losers from the deadline, but they've been lo- they were always going to be losers based on moves that they made in previous years. I mean, they were going to be losers since that Wall since Wall got hurt, you know, a couple weeks ago, and since we knew that Yamahimi was a complete waste of money. So 
just the relationship ending, I think, is, is good for both sides. But uh, let's move on. Maybe you have another uh, a winner to go to keep it a little bit positive. <laughs> I appreciate that admonition. No. Okay, so another winner for me. Man, I'm trying to get out of the East. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say the Clippers. I'm going to go with yeah. the Clippers. Western Conference. You know, they, they got some cap space. That was huge. I mean, I'm going to run through just the transaction they did. You sent Tobias Harris, Boban Manjanovic, Mike Scott to the Sixers for Landry Shamet, Wilson Chandler, Mike Muscala. 2020 first-round pick, 2021 first-round pick from Miami. That's a really good one. Uh, potentially a 2021 second-round pick and a 2023 second-round pick. So you get a stash of draft picks. You get a player in Landry Shabman who's been playing really well, uh, I would say about the quality of a late first-round draft pick, uh, and two decent players. Uh, then, you know, you get rid of it in Wilson Chandler and Mike Muscala. You get rid of Mike Muscala. Then you turn around, move Avery Bradley, and it's $2 million guaranteed to the Grizzlies for two contracts that are expiring in Garrett Temple and Michael Green. And, and, again, two players who can play for you if you're still trying to make the playoffs. And who knows? They're, they're right there in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the mix of it, so that's great. But in all those moves that just ran by, not even to mention, you know, getting Avicii Zubac, they have created $59 million in cash space and a bunch of picks. And you can take that package and trade for Anthony Davis or, you know, use the money to get not one but two max players. So you, what, you're looking at KD, you're looking at Kawhi Leonard, you have Anthony Davis. That's crazy. That, that, the, the fact that that's even potentially able to happen. Now, the likelihood of that never, of course, equals you know the, the, what 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 teams look into uh, the possibility of it. But at the same time, they they put themselves in the spot where you got rid of your best player and you still could make the playoffs, but you could also not, and also have a better chance to retain your own 2019 first round pick, which is lottery protected and would go to the Celtics if the Clippers were to make the playoffs. So it, it, you you don't lose if you make it great. It's a feel good story for the Clippers. If you don't, okay, listen, you tried, you fought to the end, you had some decent players, you got a treasure trove of draft picks, and you keep your first round pick. I, I mean, that, that's great. Even if there were no trades to be made on that, that's a team that could just simply sign two max players. But the fact that they're able to do it this way. Uh, it, it, it just works. That That's just a great move by the Clippers. I was really a fan of it. You know, kind of those between-the-margins moves that, I mean, maybe on a big scale don't seem to be all that big a deal uh, outside of the, out of the cap space. But all the picks, you know, you look into the minutiae of the transactions, it, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, you, you basically explained it well enough for me not to add too much. But, you know, considering the fact that Tobias Harris didn't appear to be in their plans to get what they got for him, that kind of return is, is excellent. Um, getting someone like Zubac, basically flipping Muscala for Zubac is, is great. Um, get, obviously, getting the cap space um, is going to be great, obviously. I mean, they had the cap space. Tobias was ex- expiring, but, um, you know, they for sure got the cap space now. Um, and, you know, the one trade was interesting to me was was using Bradley to get two kind of win-now veterans. But Bradley does have $2 million guaranteed next year, so they did technically clear up more cap space. But it was still interesting that they, they used Bradley to get win-now veterans, considering the fact, like you said, their pick. If they don't make the playoffs, they keep it. Um, getting players like Temple and Green who could help them actually make the playoffs is interesting. Um, I think making the playoffs, it wouldn't be the end of the world if they did make the playoffs. I think that's a little bit, maybe a little bit more of a, way to sell to free agents that, you know, we were a playoff team last year, we'll be even better with you this year. I'm not sure free agents really pay attention. I think free agents could be a little bit more realistic and know why they missed the playoffs to keep that draft pick. But yeah. I like it. Cap space, picks, Shamit can be a solid young contributor. Zubac can be a solid young contributor for, for cheap, for a team that's trying to, you know, obviously maximize the cap space. Having Zubac there as a cheap deal is really helpful. So, you know, you, you explained it well enough. But, yeah, I also agree. I definitely have them as winners and, and you know, pretty big winners, honestly. Maybe the best, maybe the biggest winner that's outside of the Eastern Conference for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, and like you said, you know, if they make the playoffs, eh, you know, like you said, it's not the worst thing. But at the same time, if they don't, and you, in this Western Conference, who knows? At least you can say, hey, listen to the fans. You know, we tried. You, you have players who are going to play. Um, whether or not they get by on just talent alone, they're still that scrappy team. If they make it great, if not, you keep the pick. But they're also not, like, clearly tanking. You know, and, and that was what the thought was at first, in my opinion, when they made the move um, to, to, to deal Tobias Harris. I'm like, oh, okay, that's them kind of angling to get some picks, you know, take themselves out of the playoff picture, you know, and start with that. Hey, we have cash space, two max free agents, and a pick. You know, let's see what we can get. But then, by making those moves, I respect it because, listen, it's not a guarantee that you make it even with those players. They're win-not players, but this is the Western Conference talking about here. Um, you know, so who knows? But at the same time, you give the best chance to go out there and possibly get um, a playoff spot. If not, it's probably even better for you in a weird way. So I don't see the way a Clippers can lose, except maybe if they don't get either of the two max free agents they want 
and then just keep the pick. But, I mean, the probability of that is kind of low to me. I think they're going to get somebody this free agency. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely optimistic. I mean, I think that they're watching the Toronto situation pretty intensely and maybe feeling pretty good about that, seeing all these other East teams kind of kind of load up for the playoff run. Um, but they've got, I mean, they've got basically all their options available with given their cap space, given the market's not the Lakers, but it still is L.A., um, you know, they've, they've been a successful team in the past, obviously not at the top level, but, you know, obviously we're, we're an elite team every year. Chris Paul, you know, Blake Griffin, DeAndre Jordan were there. So definitely have a, a bunch of selling points to free agents. Um, I've got an interesting one where I've got a winner that also is connected to a loser. Um, so the winner uh, is the Golden State Warriors um, because what? only because they made no moves, obviously, but no West, no West playoff team made any significant moves to become clear-cut challengers to them. Um, because unlike last year, where, where at this time last year, basically everyone was saying, all right, the Rockets, they look legit. They have, they're, you know, posting all time offensive numbers. They're, you know, really good defensively. They're going to, you know, they were on pace to win 60 games. They ended up winning 65. This is the team that's going to challenge the Warriors. And they did this year. When someone asks you, you know, who's going to challenge the Warriors, you say, Hmm, it could be the Nuggets, could be the Thunder, maybe the Rockets if they stay healthy. There's so many different teams. There's no clear-cut team. And no team of that group made significant moves to become to jump to the next level of becoming a clear-cut challenger. So because of that, I think it's going to be a pretty easy and straightforward playoff push to the finals for the Warriors, which is why I have it connected to an, a loser, which is the West playoffs. Because... With none of those teams making significant upgrades, I think the West playoffs are going to be potentially a snooze fest, at least for the Golden State side of the bracket. Um, I think there's definitely going to be some interesting matchups. Um, You've got the Nuggets now in the fold as probably the two seed. The Kings could somehow make the playoffs, which would be extremely fun and interesting. Um, I just think that while you'll get some really interesting matchups in the the first round, obviously the second round, uh, especially on the non-Warriors side, I think that there won't be much drama surrounding the final outcome in the conference, that it could be kind of a snooze fest where the Warriors could win one, I mean, the Warriors could lose maybe one or two games in the entire West playoffs. And because of that, I've got the West playoffs as a loser, but the Warriors as a team, as a winner. Uh, You know, I can see that. You're right. I mean, I already thought the Western Conference playoffs were going to be a a loser in this trade deadline when it became clear to me the Lakers might not make the playoffs. So, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, with LeBron James, the Western Conference, heck, the NBA is worse off for it. Um, Let's hope for a miracle. But, no, you're right. I mean, last year was really the Rockets, and, yes, they've been playing a little bit better. Um, You know, having a really big win over the Warriors without James Harden is great, but, you know, full strength, all told, playoff series, I I don't see the Warriors, you know, really uh, running into too much of a hiccup. Uh, the Thunder will be feisty. That's if they got the first round. Uh, you know, the Jets, I mean, there's not really a team out there. You're right. So, yeah, uh, that's that's actually a really kind of sneaky one because that's, that's a subliminal uh, winner and loser there. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So you can you can go positive or you can uh, go negative with with a winner or a loser. I'm gonna go a little negative here. Right. And it's gonna be short. I mean, that way you can end on a positive. I'm hoping Anthony Davis. Uh, yeah, you, you get no win, man. I mean, you obviously wanted to leave. You thought you played it right. I guess I, I don't know. You've seen Jimmy Butler force his way out. You've seen Kyrie before that force his way out. Maybe AD thought he could kind of do this, you know, in a, in a less crazy fashion or, or more calculated, more organized fashion. Um, it didn't work. You know, the Lakers made the monster uh, godfather, uh, quote-unquote, offer for you. The Pelicans declined. And then will he or won't he play? And then him shooting up to play and then him leaving early due to an injury that he may or may not have suffered in one game, which led to Dell Dems being fired literally the very next day. And now he is playing. I think it's a 25-minute uh like max amount um you're most certainly gonna be down the offseason probably to a team that you don't want to go to but then you said you don't mind what team you go to because your list is 29 teams long but then it wasn't i mean i mean it's been handled so ham-fistedly and that's a word i'm just using right now <laughs> that I, I just don't understand you you put yourself out there in an awkward scenario you put your team out there in an awkward scenario Alvin Gentry, the whole organization and yes they didn't handle it as well as they could have either i think if you you know it doesn't matter. You don't like it. A player requests a trade, fine. But for the good of the franchise, for the good of chemistry, for the good of everything moving forward, you make a deal for him. Especially if you're going to take him out 
of the opening video. I mean, that was quicker than anything else the Pelicans did. They took him out the opening uh, uh, hype video before they fired Dell Demps. I mean, the, the, the priorities list for New Orleans is amazing. However, I, I just think that it was handled wrong. I mean, ultimately, he'll probably get his wish in the offseason, go to a different team. Who knows how that'll work out or what odyssey that'll be. And I get it. You know, the Pelicans haven't made enough moves to really, you know, support him. You know, he wants to leave. All of that. But the way it was handled just wasn't so well thought out. And for someone who works right there alongside, you know, you have Rich Paul as your agent. And I don't think they're usually that messy. I was just disappointed. Yeah, that that was a whole mess. And it could continue to become a mess, you know, even in the summer if the, the trade sweepstakes continue to be with new teams in the fall, like the Celtics. The Lakers obviously will still be aggressive, but it could continue to be a mess. I mean, it's going to be a mess still for the rest of the regular season just because of the awkwardness of the situation. But I think that mess could honestly continue until he's traded. And even then, the mess could continue if he's traded to a team he's not going to stick around with because then that adds just even more drama about how that team deals with him and trying to convince him. And it could be a whole prolonged situation until he ends up getting to free agency and, and choosing the destination that he wants. Um, so I definitely agree with you there. I've got to I've got to keep it a little bit negative just for a little bit longer. All right. Memphis Grizzlies. Um, I think I mentioned this before, kind of in the, in the Raptors section as when they were winners. But I think the return for Gasol for the Grizzlies is is fine in a vacuum. But the disappointing aspect of it is that there's no real good future asset that they got back in any of their deals, but especially in this deal because Delon Wright is you know a, a solid guard but i don't think a lot of people know that he's turning 27 in april so it, he's a pretending restricted free agent who's turning 27 you know in the in the prime of his career age wise um that's not exactly a young building block obviously jonas valanciunas is who he is at this point i think he's 26 or 27 but again a guy who's not going to really he's not a young building block and then cj miles while a solid veteran in the locker room at this point given his play this season basically was in and out of the rotation because he couldn't hit, hit his shot and it doesn't really provide anything else besides three-point shooting. He has another year left on his deal. That's pretty much bad money. Um, there's no young building blocks there. They've, they've got some solid players who can contribute right away, but for a team that's going on, on their path, doesn't really it's not that important. And then what really was disappointing was that they should have used the Garrett Temple, Jermichael Green package to get a first-round pick or a solid young player back, not Avery Bradley, who really has not been a very productive player in terms of contributing to winning. Um, and there was that report that the Rockets would have traded their, their 2019 first-round pick and Brandon Knight, of course, for Temple and Green. And I would have rather had that deal. I mean, I'd rather have... I don't know what the Rockets are going to end up with, what their pick's going to be. Obviously, there's a lot that can change. But let's say it's the 20th or 21st pick um, in this year's draft. I would rather have that pick than Avery Bradley, especially given the fact that the Grizzlies are not going to be winning in the foreseeable future. I know the whole thing is, all oh, we don't want to take on Brandon Knight's contract, but you're going to be bad anyway, so who really cares about taking on Knight's money? You're not spending that in free agency. You're not going to be good trying to spend that on players that can help you win and make the playoffs. You, you've already taken back C.J. Miles' contract, which is basically you know, seven or eight million dollars of bad money. Why not just take on Knight's deal for a first-round pick? Uh, I think they should have done that instead of Avery Bradley, a player that doesn't fit anywhere in their timeline and, and really isn't going to help you win anyways, and they shouldn't want to win. Um, they did want to kind of, I think their whole feeling was that they wanted to win to, to convey their pick this year and not have it convey in future years. Um, but I just, I think they should have gotten a pick or some young player out of all these moves that they made. And because they didn't, I've had them as a winner, as a loser, not a winner. <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. I mean, in fact, just because I know you probably have one more positive in you, and I've reached the end of mine, I've got one more negative in there, and that's the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, apparently, you mentioned Memphis, so it kind of got to me. The Hornets were apparently this close to acquiring Mark uh, Gasol. And, you know, for a Hornets team that went from trying to trade Kemba Walker to, to him being, you know, someone that you're trying to desperately find a sidekick for, you know, they probably wouldn't have raised their ceiling too much. <clears throat> but I really feel like Kemba just needs an adequate sidekick, just someone who can really stick by him and and, and, and and provide some chemistry. I think that I liked Kemba in the mold that Mike Conley was for Gasol and the chemistry they might have formed there. Um, but maybe Gasol could have been that short-term guy that, you know, you know Nick Batum wasn't as far as support for Kemba. I thought that having him, Tony Parker, uh, Coach James Brego would have been an interesting offensive system and how they would have worked together and everything. And all that came to to moot because of we don't know why some draft picks or whatever so i feel like charlotte could have made some kind of move uh as it was they couldn't even give it to frank kaminsky and, and, and free frank kaminsky that's one more thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that, that's 
I mean, listen, I mean, looking at the standings, um, the Hornets are half a game above the Magic for that eight seed. And if they don't make the playoffs, I mean, how can... I mean, I know Kemba's loyal and he wants to stick around, but if they don't even make the playoffs this year, I'm, I'm really struggling to see how he talks himself into staying in Charlotte, given the fact that a player of his caliber has got to win or at least be in the playoffs, um, you know, several times in his career. So that'll be really interesting to see. Um, and that would have been fascinating to make that move for Marcus Gasol, both on the on-the-court fit, the potential risks of if he, if he leaves, giving up that first-round pick, but then also simultaneously getting off some bad money. That would have been a fascinating trade. I really would have been really excited to analyze that deal. But, of course, it, it did not happen. And the Hornets are, are still stuck with their team and trying to fight for that 8 seed, maybe 7 seed if they can. If they can. Um, but you're right. I do have one more positive to end it on, on a slightly more positive note. And that's just the Eastern Conference playoffs in general. Uh, we talked about the West playoffs being a loser. I think the other end of the spectrum is the Eastern Conference playoffs just going to be absolutely insane. Um, I think the first round, you know, is going to be pretty straightforward. You know, the Bucks, the Raptors, and whoever gets that third seed, maybe it's the Pacers, maybe it's the Sixers, maybe even as the Celtics if they really turn things around. Those three teams, I think, are going to have fairly straightforward series, though I won't count out the Brooklyn Nets giving a team a scare, you know, pushing them to six or seven games. But it's that second round where it's just going to become absolutely insane with Boston, you know, Toronto, Milwaukee, Philly, or maybe, you know, the Pacers there because the way they played, um, though I do think they don't have enough firepower come playoff time. But but the other interesting thing about the East, not only are those series going to be, you know, incredible for the second round of the conference finals, but what, what, what could be riding on those playoff results, you know, is Kyrie Irving, his free agency status. If the Celtics disappoint in the playoffs, maybe he does, you know, decide and, and convince himself to, to go elsewhere. Maybe, you know, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, maybe the Sixers kind of combust in the playoffs. Jimmy Butler's usage rate has been, you know, extremely low since they acquired Tobias. So maybe that's going to factor into his free agency. I think Middleton and Bledsoe and, you know, some of the other Bucks free agents, if they just completely bomb out in the playoffs, which I, I, I cannot, you know, even think that about that happening. But, uh, you know, they do if they disappoint, maybe Middleton goes elsewhere. Um, you know, the AD trade can be impacted by the Celtics. If Kyrie's leaving, maybe they don't, they don't feel the need to trade for AD. Um, you know, there's so much riding on the playoffs, so not only on the court should it be absolutely incredible, but the off-the-court ramifications of this upcoming playoff series and basically April, you know, and May and a little bit of June are going to be so significant for the Eastern Conference and for the future of the conference that it's going to be basically must-watch TV starting from the second round. You know what? I like the way that you that you ended that. That was that was really positive and, and, and nuanced. Great, great job, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing further to add on that. That's, that was great. Yeah. So, um, all right. So that is our uh, kind of uh, how do I say it? Delayed or uh, extended step back uh, trade deadline winners and losers. Um, just taking a, 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 a little bit more time to analyze a couple of the new pieces on their teams, a couple of the teams that were sellers. How has that kind of impacted them? Um, and some, maybe some future storylines for the rest of the season. Um, thank you for listening, of course. Uh, you can obviously follow us on Twitter. You, I said it before, at Eric Spires NBA. Corbin, you can always uh, reveal where people can follow and interact with you. Oh, uh, at Corbin Ford NBA. Uh, out there tweeting on these streets, like said the 94. <laughs> <laughs> follow me, people. I need some followers up in here. I'll put out some more stuff so then maybe you'll notice and then you can follow me. It'll all work out. I, I trust the basketball guys. Yeah, you gotta trust the pro. You gotta trust the uh, Twitter process, uh, Corbin. And guys, you gotta follow Corbin. He's he's fun, engaging. He knows his stuff. Um, so definitely follow him there and follow me, of course. Appreciate you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, guys, have a, a great week uh, of watching NBA basketball. Take care. All right, y'all.